People here love politics. If West Virginia can do a better job, something's wrong. We're screwed. Yeah. yeah. All right. Joel, we've done so many episodes, I don't remember which one it is. The, number the next, five. Number five, the next episode of Bourbon in the Back Room. Joel, first off, let's talk about the bourbon. We got a new uh, bourbon that someone gave. Is that yep. right? So this is from my good friend and one of my teammates. He's an agency director here at Lurie Life and Health. David Goldberg, and what's the name of that? Uh, Blade and Bow. Yep, David's a big bourbon connoisseur. It's really good, smooth, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, uh, Blade and Bow. So we recommend it, and we thank David. We do thank David. And by the way, for somebody that doesn't drink bourbon, I'm now amassing quite a collection (laughs) in my office. Actually, I'm a little worried about my red wine drinker, Joel. I'm telling you, man. Welcome to the South, Joel. Yep, yep, enjoyed it. So, Vincent, um, great to be back. It's our fifth episode, and this started as just a fun concept. Right. And now I think what we want to do with this episode is just reset, talk a little bit about what's going on at the State House, but also talk about why we decided to do this. Yeah, I think it's particularly important right now. There was a, a big article in the Charleston Post and Courier. I don't know if you caught it, the newspaper down there, uh, one of the oldest in the state. And the subject matter was the death of local news in South Carolina, the fact that there's very little coverage of state government and politics, local government. Uh, and Joel, I think the, the, the void that this podcast is intended to fill, besides the fact that you and I enjoy it, is the fact that there's really not much in-depth discussion about South Carolina government and politics. Well, anymore. here's what I love, Vincent. Every time you and I get together pre-COVID, we would go out for dinner, talk shit, and talk politics, yeah. right? Yeah. Drink bourbon or wine, talk shit, talk politics. Now we just get to do that, and other people listen to it. Right? <laughs> and they give bottles of bourbon for I'm us telling to, to drink you. to do it, but, Joel. But, but you're right. In, in South Carolina, as you – I like the, the way you put it. You know, we sort of outpunt our coverage yeah, with regard to, to the impact we have. And, and people here love politics. We're a small state, but we tend to be very focused on what happens at the state house and, at the, and in Washington. Well – we, we do. And unfortunately, what we've seen over the last, I'd say, 10 to 20 years is more people have moved to the state and the media uh, has shrunk. There's been less coverage of what's going on in South Carolina. I think people, the response to our podcast shows that people are hungry to know what's happening in their government. And let's face it, Joel, what happens in state government more directly affects people by far than what happens in the national government. And we're seeing that right now. You're seeing that with uh, abortion legislation. You're seeing it with with uh, gun legislation, you're seeing it with uh, coronavirus legislation, you're seeing it uh, with all the things that we that we are experiencing uh, this year, good or bad, whatever somebody's take on it is, it does directly affect people. With, with a news vacuum, though, it's very scary to think that people get elected and policies are made without anybody really knowing. Well, it. I'm going to tell you a couple interesting stories. So we've had some great interviews. You know, the first podcast, we had our friend and co- former colleague, Senator Tom Davis. Was, it was so much fun to have Tom. I mean, he really has become a leader. He came into the Senate. He hit that bourbon kind of hard, though. Well, yeah, you know, good for Tom. <laughs> he, uh, but he came into the Senate really a fi- fire breather. I uh, wanted to burn it all down, and he's really become a leader who's who's helping make things happen. And a consensus builder, I might add. Yeah, and a consensus yeah builder. absolutely. Then after that, we had um, Merle Smith and Todd Rutherford. We did. Merle will be uh, at my house for dinner tonight. We're going to meet the new Central Carolina Technical College president. Okay, and that's great. And he's yeah. coming over there, and I'm sure he'll bring some of that Merle Smith famous old-fashioned. Well, I'm hoping Merle brings the old-fashioned to my house. But, but it does say... Something about South Carolina, especially in the rural areas, Joel, and of course you're on here because you're a city slicker and I'm the country boy. That's yeah. why we're tagged up. But in our rural areas, we still, and perhaps it's true here as well, um, you know, 
Republicans, Democrats, whatever, it really doesn't matter. Actually, most y'all still hunting fish we together, still <laughs> hunting fish together, and and get together. And um, but that's a good thing. I told uh, somebody the other day, every South Carolinian, this is true of Joe Lurie, is one generation removed from a small town. Where are you from? Where's your family from? St. George, South Carolina. My family settled in Dorchester <clears throat> County. My grandfather came here in 1912 and opened up the first Lurie's department store. It's interesting, Joel. I'm doing a lot of international work on religious freedom, uh, working to help persecuted minorities in the Middle East. As you know, my my family is, is of Lebanese descent, and I invited some of my national uh, partners to come on our podcast, and I told them that one of the beautiful things about the podcast is that Joel Lurie and, and, and me, uh, I am of Lebanese Christian descent, and Joel is of Jewish descent. Shalom. But both of our families came to the South in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Settled in small towns. Immigrants, small towns, shopkeepers, the Jews, the Lebanese, and the Greeks owned uh, the stores all right, in all Vincent, the small I, towns. South you probably Carolina. forgot to take your riddle in the day, but let me all just right. get back. Okay, right. so then we had we had Todd Augsburger, we had Beth Bernstein talking about hate crimes legislation. Yes. Um, great interview with our dear friend, Representative Beth Bernstein, who's married to a childhood friend of yours. That's true. Yep. And then right. last week, I tell you, we had, um, I mean, our, our Facebook and Twitter and our plays have been blown up with Superintendent Molly Spearman. What a great interview you know, that was. Molly is a true South Carolinian. She's, she's been through all the phases of South Carolina. She's from a small town. She's been a Republican. She's been a Democrat. She's worked for the government. I know. <laughs> I know. Worked for the bureaucracy. She's worked in the private sector. She was a music teacher, which if you ask her her favorite job ever, she'll tell you. And I think you teacher. can summarize that with one narrative, which Molly cares about kids. That's right. Yep. She does. And, and you know, she, the other thing that's interesting right now, she's bridging this whole argument about whether or not uh, teachers should be in school, kids should be in school, by having a real practical response. Uh, everyone should be in school, if possible. We need to do what we can to get them in school, including making sure that they get their shots. Uh, and then if they're unable to, we work around. One of our comments was Vincent needs to use the words vaccinate versus inoculate. Deanne. Yeah. We're yeah, going to vaccinate all South Carolinians. Quick shout out to our good friend Deanne Gray. Speaking of that, Vincent, let's jump into current events. Okay. So you talk about schools. I'm going to jump right in there. Yeah. Senate passes the bill. Um, Last week, sends it to the House to put teachers in 1A. We talked about that. Right. This week, the House subcommittee meets on the bill, and they adjourn debate on it. Okay. They want to get more testimony yeah. from DHEC and others. Now, let me kind of put that on a national perspective. President Biden had a town hall meeting the other night. This subject came up. Um, there are like either 26 or 27 states now in our country that have moved teachers up to that 1A yeah. phase. Yeah. So that they can get vaccinated and that, that that we can get schools reopened. What do you think the house is? Is the house maybe a little bit closer? The leadership in the house a little bit closer to McMaster, and and they don't want to push the envelope with him. What are you hearing from your friends over there? Well, Joel, you know I'm passionate about getting the children back in school five days a week. I was extremely thrilled to see President Biden come out and encourage schools to open five days a week here in South Carolina. I have to believe that our house leadership ultimately will want to have teachers moved up to the top to be vaccinated. There is the the real political dynamic that our House Speaker, Jay Lucas, good friend of both of ours, yep. uh, is very close to Henry McMaster and I'm sure is sensitive to embarrassing the governor. What I don't understand, Joel, and maybe you can explain to me, is why doesn't the governor just come out and say, hey, 
We want senior citizens to be vaccinated, and we also want teachers to be vaccinated. It doesn't have to be either or. I I, I don't disagree, and and I'd, I'm you know we need to go ahead and reach out to Trey and see if we can get Governor McMaster on the show. Um, old friend of both of ours, um, of course. But but you know I kind of guess if I'm just looking down the road a little bit, looking into a into a crystal ball. I think they want, they don't want to embarrass the governor. They don't want to pass a bill that he's going to veto. And the governor, and I'm just, this is pure jewelry speculation yeah. here, is maybe communicating, give me a few weeks and I'm going to get teachers in, but I'm going to do it on my terms right. versus being forced to do it. Because he knows the key to getting our schools open safely has to involve a pathway for teachers to get vaccinated. Well, I will just say this, uh, it will be an unforced error. If the governor does not embrace uh, having teachers moved up to be uh, inoculated. Whoops. Sorry. Sorry, Deanne. Uh, vaccinated. <laughs> vaccinated. Vaccinated. Uh, it will be an unforced error, and I think that he'll quickly pivot and make sure that uh, that that teachers are vaccinated as well as senior citizens. And then we got to look at the next, next phase, Joel, and when's the rest of the state going to get vaccinated? You know, let's talk about the statistics here in South Carolina. You have them. How do we rank compared to the rest of the country? So I'll tell you um, a couple of interesting um, statistics. Um, number one, we're still somewhere either last or close to being last. If you To our producers, if you could keep Vincent off his phone, he might not like go, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 uh Thank funny. you, Mr. Producer. I'm trying to line up our guests for next week. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure we'll cut that out. All right. Where were we? Tell us about the statistics, Joel, for South Carolina. Why is it that, once again, we rank at the bottom of things that we don't want to be at the bottom of? It's a good question. Um, Vincent, I saw a story that came across the wire. I think it was a Post and Courier, Post and Courier that we rank third worst in terms of the hospital staffing shortage. So, you know, at a time where we need nurses and, and technicians and, and other professionals in the hospitals, we're like, third last in the nation, and we continue to rank at the bottom in the number of vaccines we're getting. I'll well, tell please, you an anecdote on yeah, that. Yeah, please, because uh, that, that bothers me more than anything, because this whole discussion of whether we can get teachers and senior citizens vaccinated really hinges on whether we get the vaccinations, and we're at the bottom of the nation. That's unexcusable. So, Vincent, I know it would surprise you, but I still talk inexcusable to— Inexcusable. Inexcusable. Uh, that's what three shots of bourbon will do to you. <laughs> I talk to—you um, know, I still talk to a lot of reporters right. and a lot of people, and I understand that there's still a disconnect— because we're supposed to be getting more vaccines. Remember, yeah. um, our friend at Lexington Medical Center, Todd Augsburger, told us a couple of weeks ago, we're getting about six to 3,000. I think that number's up about 10,000. But the question is, where is it going and are the right, is it going to the right places? I mean, clearly the hospitals have taken the lead on vaccinating people. And are we able to still fulfill the request? For people to get vaccines. That's well, that. At the end of the day, this doesn't go away till everybody that wants to get a vaccine gets a vaccine. Amen. I'm still doubtful that um, that South Carolina is doing it the way we should do it. Joel, I got a text yesterday. It was a an emergency text. It said, "Please let any seniors know that are over 65 that we have 20 unused uh, vials of vaccination that will expire by 8 p.m. tonight." Now that that just shows me we don't have our act together. If West Virginia can do a better job. Something's wrong. We're screwed. Yeah. yeah. All so, right. So a couple other statistics. Women are getting vaccinated at higher rates than men. And this won't surprise you. Whites are getting higher uh, vaccinated at twice the rate of um, African-Americans and Latinos. And 
And why is that? I mean, that shows you, if you look at the map, yeah. he has a map, and you look at some of these small counties, I think right. Lee County, was Lee County one of your counties? No, but a neighboring county from Kershaw, know it well. Yeah, I mean, a couple hundred Will vaccines. Wheeler. I yeah. mean, you know, we have got to do a better job of vaccinating all our population. In some of these areas that don't have broadband internet or people that really um, are, are capable of using technology, we've got to go out and get those people and help them through this process because it's not an uncomplicated, you know, it's not a uncomplicated process. I did it for my mother and I'm okay on computers. Right. But it's not easy. And so you can imagine somebody that doesn't have broadband trying to do this. Well, there's a couple of disparities that you touched on that I'd like to for us to explore in South Carolina, Joel. And one of them is really not discussed much, and maybe it's because it's not politically correct, but it's the gender difference. Men really suffer from the statistics that I've looked at, much higher mortality uh, from coronavirus. And men, as we also know, die earlier just in general from women. We rarely talk about it, but I think men need to not be afraid to say this is a problem. Um, it's not something that politically we normally talk about when men suffer disproportionately, but it's clear that's happening. One of the highest risk factors from coronavirus is that you are male. I think it needs to be paid attention to. We shouldn't just hide it because it's not politically popular to talk about it or men are afraid to talk about it. It's very real. It needs to be addressed. And the fact that women are receiving much higher vaccination rates than men is, is even more troubling because we know men suffer. So I think we just have to be honest, frank, and brutal and say, man, man up, go get your shots. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with us talking you about You know, I, I spent 18 years in the legislature, and I was very proud that I was an advocate for women. <laughs> now I've met my friend Vincent Shaheen, who's an advocate for the good old boy. Well, if you think about it, they're often we're proud to be advocates for women, yep. and, and, and rightfully so. Yep. But men also have unique problems that need to be recognized. There's no question This is one it. of those. The it, other, it, affa- want- it disproportionately affects men of color. Yes. Okay. We know that people of color are disproportionately affected. Men are disproportionately affected. So men of color have a, a double whammy in that. The other I want to touch on, though, is the rural divide, because we see it so often in South Carolina. And this touches both white and black people living in rural areas. Um. Our rural areas, our state government has written them off, Joel. You know, I come from the rural areas. I represented them when I used to be in politics. Uh, We've closed DHEC offices in this state. The federal government has closed Social Security offices. Services are minimal. And you are seeing that come home in this pandemic today. There's no question about it. We we have a disparity with delivery of health care. You know, our state, as you know, was one of, I think it's 13 states, Vincent, that did not expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. And I still think that was one of the big, if, if I, when I think about my time at the state house, one of my biggest disappointments, because you guys did a great job getting the roads bill passed year or two after Thank I you. left. Yeah. But, um, but that we still have 150,000 people. A lot of this is in poor rural South Carolina yeah. that don't have access to health care simply because of where they live. If they lived in Kentucky, if yeah. they lived oh, in yeah. Louisiana, if they lived in Arkansas, right? These are not Oklahoma. liberal progressive states. Right. They would have access to healthcare. So there's still a great disparity. And I'm gonna I'm gonna use a, a a quote um from a guy that I never really supported, but John Edwards used to give in his campaign speech. Mm-hmm. I always I always thought that guy was a little too cool for school, to be honest with you. I just did. But he used to talk about two Americas, and I think we yeah. have two South Carolinas. I really do. We do. And and all you have to do is travel to, to Lee County or Chesterfield County, one predominantly African-American, one predominantly white. Our, our producer here, uh, Campbell, is from Chesterfield, and you will see 
that uh, rural South Carolina has really just, the state's pretty much given up on them. I mean, he's a living example of how people get left behind. (laughs) So, Joel, I hear we have our first sponsor for the podcast. Vincent, did you know that this year, Lexington Medical Center will have served the Midlands for 50 years? Well, that's a long time. It really is, but Lexington Medical Center does more than take care of our community. They're part of it. How's that? They're the only locally owned independent hospital in the Midlands, so they take care of their families, friends, and neighbors. Well, that explains why the readers of the state newspaper have named them Best Hospital for nearly 20 years. Lexington Medical Center, they always put our community's needs first. I know that myself. They make it very easy to find the right doctor. All you have to do is go to lexmed.com slash doctors and you'll find everything you need to schedule an appointment with the best physicians in the Midlands. Well, we're glad to have them as the sponsor of the best podcast in the Midlands. Robert in the back room. We'll be right back. Let me just move on to some other issues going on at the State House, uh, Vincent. Um, S1, the abortion bill. We are now going to outlaw all abortions basically in the state. But what was not predicted in this debate, nobody nobody didn't think this, that the House wouldn't pass it. You know, I thought it was kind of interesting. The Democrats, um, they have 40 some odd members. They walked out during yeah. the amendment process. But the greatest um, the greatest story yesterday um, was Representative Jonathan Hill <laughs> threw his amendments up in the air and stormed out of there. And Speaker Lucas took him to task, as he should have. You know, the irony in this is Jonathan um, is a very conservative Republican. Yep. And, and the irony is the conservative Republicans are winning <laughs> dramatically on all the issues in South Carolina. I, I find it just very ironic that he would be frustrated to throw his amendments up and leave. So let me tell you what it reminds me of. I don't yeah. know if you remember this, but I, when we were in the house, there was a guy named Marty Coates from oh, Florence. I remember Marty, sure. And Marty got real pissed off, and Wilkins ruled a certain way, or Wilkins, I mean, he wanted Former to put up Former speaker, an, David Wilkins. Yeah, yeah, and Wilkins would rule with a firm hand. Right. And um, you wouldn't always agree with him, but you knew where the hell he stood, right? right? And Marty Coates threw his amendments <laughs> up at Wilkins behind the speaker's desk, and I'm like, Oh, shit. He will never serve on another committee the rest of his life. Joel, it's interesting, though, the difference between the House and the Senate. You know, that kind of behavior occurs from time to time in the House. If that happened in the Senate, they would be arrested. I mean, they would be taken out in handcuffs. We would go into executive session, and and, and Vincent, we cannot discuss what happens in executive session because Glenn McConnell and Hugh Leatherman will still come, like, give us an F on our report card. But we we cannot discuss that. But can you imagine? All right, a couple other stories. Here's a good one for you. Um, This is one I'm kind of really interested to see how it plays out. So last week, okay, last week, a guy named um, Tim Alberta with Politico, the lead story was about Nikki Haley. And Nikki Haley, he starts it like this. And I love the way he started it because it caught my attention. Nikki Haley had a friend who was going through a hard time. (laughs) He had lost his job and was being being evicted from his house. He was getting bad advice from bad people who were filling his head with self-destructive fantasies. He seemed to be losing touch with reality. Out of concern, Haley, Haley called the man and said, I want to make sure you're okay. You're my president, but you're also my friend. They were talking about Donald Trump. So anyway, she, Nikki Haley goes on in the story to talk about how um, she does not think Donald Trump will be around to be um, a, a major player in 2024 that, you know, kind of we, we shouldn't have followed him, et cetera, et cetera. So then Lindsey Graham comes on the TV Sunday morning on all the news shows. And um, it was very interesting on Fox News Sunday. And yes, I do watch Fox News Sunday sometimes. Graham said his fellow Republican from 
uh, South Carolina was wrong for criticizing Trump. Haley, he, he said Nikki was wrong that, that, that we need to, this is all about the, the midterms and we need to stand with our president. I'm going to go campaign with them. I'm flying down to Mar-a-Lago to play golf with them. So now you've got a clash of these two South Carolina Republican giants, Nikki Haley and Lindsey Graham. You think this has anything to do with 2024? <laughs> I think when you'd want to judge what Haley or Graham wants or why they take a position, you only have to ask yourself, what is it that they want? So right. when you ask yourself, why do Haley or Graham take a position? All you have to ask yourself is what do they want for themselves personally? Haley wants to be president and Graham wants to be reelected at the next time. He wants to be relevant. He wants to be relevant and reelected. Haley can't be president if Donald Trump runs again. So she distances herself. Otherwise, she's just hanging out doing whatever she's doing right now, which I don't know. Far and, be it from me to, re- to predict Republican primaries, but, but most of the podcasts I listen to um, tell me that, that anyone, the path to 2024, they've got to have the Trump supporters. Right. You know, so I thought that the, 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 the Ambassador Haley's comments were a little bit ahead of herself, but we'll see what happens. Right? Well, I just think it's a recognition that there's not space for her if Trump is controlling what happens. And for Lindsey Graham, there's not space for him if he doesn't have his South Carolina base, which is very Trump supportive. So it doesn't actually surprise me they took those positions. They tend to take positions that are in their own self-interest, totally uh, disregarding any kind of principles or philosophy. What shocked me about Ambassador Haley's comments, however, and then we're going to move on to another subject, was only two or three weeks ago, I saw her on TV saying they criticize him on the day of his inauguration. They criticize him for four years. Now they want to criticize him after he's gone. Talking about Donald Trump, give the man a break. But you know what? Interesting. What is interesting is that, again, on the Republican side and on the Democratic side uh, with Jim Clyburn and Jamie Harrison uh, and others, South Carolina, again, is at the forefront of the national story. It's been like that since the Revolutionary War, the Civil War. Uh, we're always in the spotlight. It's an interesting place to live. It, it is. All right, Vincent, moving right along to a couple other things I just want to bring up to you. Um, so open carry, we talked about that last week. Looks like it's heading again out of the House pretty soon and over to the Senate. You still think that the Senate will probably sit on it this year? That's my guess. You know, it just takes the Senate a little longer to deal with something. They, they've they already dealt with the major conservative hot-button issue, which was abortion. Uh, they usually just don't have the bandwidth to deal with more than one big thing, especially if it's polarizing. I would think that it'll kick around in committee, but next year I would I would guess it would pass. Yep, yep, yep. All right, a couple of interesting bills that I saw um, presented this week. Um, this one was by our old buddy Rex Rice. I never served with Rex in the Senate. I served with him in the uh, House. I enjoy serving with Rex. I served with him in the House with you. Yep. Served with him in the Senate, a quiet guy from Pickens, I believe. Pickens beat yep. Larry Martin, he did. chairman of the Judiciary he did. Committee. Good fella, yeah. quiet. Um, just picks a few issues usually to, to tackle. Very, fairly conservative Republican. Right, and, and Senator Kim Brell, is that the guy that beat Glenn Reese? I think so. <laughs> okay. But anyway, so they want to move they want to move into registering by party. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're already so divided, Joel, in this state. Um, and the parties, sadly and unfortunately, are becoming associated with racial. Um, I think dynamics. it's a terrible idea. Yeah. yeah. And I think this will only make idea. it worse. I to, I mean, I th- if you want to increase polarization and division, then that bill passes. Yeah. I don't think it does because I think most people, Vincent, I think you got the far left and you got the far right. 
I still think probably 60% of the people want to consider themselves somewhere in the middle. I think most of the electorate does, but I think more and more because we are electing people based on party and not the candidates, that that the actual elected officials are becoming more extreme and polarized. I don't disagree with that, but I'm going to give you an example why that's a terrible idea. Yeah. Let's assume in Richland County, where the bulk of our listeners live, um, although, did I mention to you we have listeners as far as Vermont? Did I mention to you that there's two listeners from Germany that contacted me last week? No, I did not yeah. know that. That, yeah. that, that is that. fabulous. Right, right. Um, so we have listeners. Um, I have relatives in Israel, and uh, well, we need to translate I didn't this say in. that they happen to be my relatives in Germany, Joel. <laughs> okay. All right. But anyway, so um, here's the point I want to make. Let's assume in Richland County we have a Democratic primary for sheriff. Right. And if you live in Richland County, usually the Democratic primary for sheriff is going 99% of the time decide who the next you know, sheriff is. Going. Again, you just put your finger on the fact of how polarized we are in the state. If you live in a Democratic county, only Democrats get elected. If you live in a Republican county, only Republicans get elected. My point is, is why should Republicans be the, denied the right, or people that consider themselves Republicans, be denied the right? To vote in a Democratic primary to decide who their next year is. Well, going maybe to be. because they're not Democrats. So why are they voting in a Democratic primary? But my, no, you're missing my point. All right. <laughs> Here's the bigger point. Here, no, maybe we shouldn't have primaries. Well, that's a whole nother subject. But my point is, did you know, Senator? Yes. All right. We don't have to play the did you know game. But think about this. There's a Democratic primary for sheriff. People that tend to vote Republican, maybe on a national basis, but certainly care who the hell their sheriff is going to be. Yeah. They should not be denied the right to vote in that primary simply because they don't register as a Democrat. Well, That's the point I want to make, listen, and I know you agree with me. I agree with you, but it does t- put a finger on a larger problem, which is that you know, some states have gone to, uh, I think they call them jungle primaries, where yep. instead of having a Democratic primary and a Republican primary, you basically everybody runs, and then there's a runoff for the top two vote-getters. Maybe that's a better way in this highly polarized system to actually have people get to vote for who they want to be elected. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and and I'll tell you why. Let's assume that same Tuesday in June, there's a Democratic primary for sheriff, right. but there's a Republican primary for U.S. Senate, and there's right. no Democrat running. Why should I be denied the right as someone who, guess what, listeners? <clears throat> this is the news. Ready? Ding, ding, ding. I'm a Democrat. Why should I be denied the right to vote for who my next U.S. Senator is going to be? Right? Joel, you know, I was I was thinking about this on, on the way over here. Um and, but you're, you're really putting a good point on it. What do you, and I wanted to ask uh, maybe some of our future guests, what do you tell a Democrat in South Carolina or a Republican in California when they ask, do they have representation? I mean, that's a tough question right now in this state. If you're a Democrat in South Carolina or if you're a Republican in California, because we've become so polarized where the other party can't legitimately have a chance at winning an election, do they have a voice in government anymore? You raise a great point, and, and we've touched on this in the past, and, and I'm going to talk about this next bill as a way to emphasize this point. The other bill that caught my attention is something that I strongly believe in, that our good friends Senator Mia McLeod and Nikki Sessler have introduced, which is an independent commission for reapportionment, to draw districts. And I'll tell you why I support it, Vincent, and actually you've never told me whether you support this, so we're going to put you on the record today. I think that our districts need to be drawn based on natural geographic boundaries, not based on how many people of one race live in a particular area. So you can pack races together. And I mean, typically in the South, when you end up with um, large white districts, you elect Republicans and large African-American districts, you elect Democrats. And I think districts should be drawn more based on communities of interest, don't you? 
you're talking about redrawing legislative districts, congressional districts, and how that's done. Of course, you're right. Here's the stark reality of it, Joel. Elected officials have trained voters to use race as a proxy for how they should vote. Elected officials did that by packing white voters in white districts and black voters in black districts so that those people think that only people that have the same color skin that they do can represent them. It is a bad cultural uh, divide that has occurred. It's reinforced by these districts when they're drawn. If you throw all white people in one district, of course they're going to think only white people can represent them. If you throw all black people in one district, of course they're going to think only black people can represent them, and they get used to seeing that, and it just it just hastens and increases the divide. If we had non-politicians drawing the districts, at least we'd have a chance of the districts not being drawn on the basis of race, and they are drawn on the basis of race. You know that, and I know that because we were in the rooms when they were drawn. All right, let me give you an example. There are 170 seats in the legislature, 46 senators, 124 House members. That's 170 seats, right, Vincent? Yes. All right, 124 and 46. How many swing districts do we currently have where there's a member of one party sitting in a Senate or House seat where in a, in a, in a general election, an off-presidential year, where a member of another party could win that seat? Less than 10% of the seats now. Oh, hell, I'd say less, less than, than 5%, 5%. Okay. are truly swing districts. Um, and, and let me tell you why that matters. Let yeah. me just tell you why that matters. All right. How many times did you have somebody come up to you on the Rhodes bill? And it could be a member of another party. And I've seen it happen on both sides. So this is, I'm not hitting one party or another and said, Vincent, I agree with you. I know we need to raise the gas tax, but if I vote for this, I can never survive my primary back home. Right. It, it becomes an election between in the party, intra-party elections instead of a general population election. You know, Joel, though, the truth is in South Carolina, The 40 years, 30 years maybe, when we had competitive general elections was an aberration. Back in the late 1800s and early 1900s, Democrats controlled South Carolina in all elected offices. It was only between the, probably about the six, well, the 1970s and and the 2000s where we were truly a competitive state. And what you see now is the emergence again of a one party system, which is the Republican Party, again, based on voting patterns, based on the color of the skin. but it's dangerous and it's it's not healthy. No, it's not good for our state and it's not good for our democracy. So, all right, Vincent, I want to move on to a couple of things. Um, tell me about. I have one question I meant to ask you. Tell me what Anthony Shaheen is doing. Oh, Anthony is my youngest son, as you well know, and Anthony is working at First Palmetto Bank, actually at Divine Street, uh, the last few weeks while he took a uh, semester off from Furman. Okay. Uh, during the Corona crisis. What year is he now? He will be a sophomore when he goes back in the fall. So I got a great story for all of our listeners. I remember in your um, 2010 campaign, Anthony Shaheen went everywhere with his dad. And he was dressed up and he had these bow ties and he was oh, just yeah. much sharper dresser than his father. <laughs> okay. And we were having a um, fundraiser over in Greg Park. Yeah. Um, and we were at the Blouse House, right. good friends of mine. And the two things I remember about that fundraiser. First of all, you show up and you're dressed like you're going to a pig picking in, in like <laughs> Lancaster County. Always had trouble coming over to Forest Acres yep, for a yep. fundraiser. So, so um, I pulled you in one of the back rooms. I took my tie off 
and I put it around your neck, and it improved you significantly. You. Okay. You. By the way, I never got that tie back. <laughs> I needed but it. But number two, they were serving, you remember this? They were serving beef tenderloin. Wonderful. Yes. And every time the server would walk by, <laughs> Anthony Shaheen, so 2010, how old was he? He was 10. 10. He would grab that plate, and he would <laughs> he would grab about five or six of those beef tenderloin things on bread, and just shove them down, shove them down. I'm, I'm telling Smart you. Kid. Yeah, not exaggerating. He probably had about 25 pieces of beef tender. I finally said to you and Amy before we come, I thought this was a great event. You know, so thankful that our friends, the Blouse, helped you with this event. We raised a lot of money. Keep an eye on Anthony. And you're like, why? I said, just trust me. He ate <laughs> one of those entire things of beef tenderloin by himself. <laughs> So the next day you come into the Senate and go, yep, you were right. (laughs) He's not going to school today. He's having some gastrointestinal (laughs) issues. Yes. Vincent, I think the show has been successful because people love to hear real life stories about what happens in politics. That was your vision for the show. And I think um, after this being our fifth episode, I, I hope that our listeners are happy with what they've heard. Hope they'll continue to support, download it. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit up us. Hit us up on Facebook, um, because we're really excited about what we've done in these this short five weeks, and we, we hope to be back to do several exciting episodes and bring people new information and behind the scenes information about what goes on. Also, Joel, we'd love to have our listeners send some questions. They can do that at bitbr podcast on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, send us questions. Send us people you'd like to be uh, hosts. It's been a great wrap-up. It's been a great reset. Again, we want you to go to BITBR Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Send us your question. We're getting lots of comments. I tell you, um, we pretty much lit up those pages with our last episode. Most of them wanted to talk about how good I look on the radio. Yeah, you definitely have a face for radio, Vincent. <laughs> Cheers. Bourbon in the Back Room is produced and edited by Campbell Douglas and Austin Shaheen. Marketing support by Megan Granite. 